For God loved the world in this way. For God loved the world in this way. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him. So that everyone who believes in him. So that everyone who believes in him. Will not perish. Will not perish. But have eternal life. But have eternal life. But have eternal life. John 3.16. John 3.16. John 3. 16. Well, good morning, church family. Let me encourage you to take your Bible and turn to John 3.16. If you have your copy of the scriptures, take your, please take your copy and turn to the gospel of John. We are going to spend four weeks in one verse, John 3.16. If you grew up in the church, you've memorized it, you know the, 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 the beauty of this verse, arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. So we're going to spend four weeks unpacking it. I am going to ask you to go ahead and turn to John 3 because we're going to set up some of the context of what prompted Jesus to say this incredible verse, kind of what's going on around it. So I encourage you to find that. As you're turning to find John 3, just to, just to uh, follow up on something that Josh said earlier, you can get the bulletin text the word built into 623-623, but one of the top things you're going to see there is something that we're going to be doing throughout the winter and spring, and that's what's called Big Wednesdays. And on once a month, on Wednesday evenings, we're going to gather together, eat together, worship together, uh, break up into different uh, spiritual growth opportunities for all ages. You can go to the the bulletin or the website to find more information about that. But I'm excited about that. I'm excited about spending those evenings with you and I would encourage you to put those on your calendar and plan to be here if at all possible. All right. Brentwood Baptist, which we're a part of, has different values, five or six different values that we try to embody, not just put on a wall somewhere, but actually embody. And the first one, which I believe is the most important and my favorite value for our church is the gospel is first and always. The gospel is first and always. I love that about this church. I believe that to be true, and I believe it should be first and foremost in our values. And as the preaching team was getting together last year to think, okay, what do we need to feed our people from the scriptures throughout 2023, we thought it would be a good idea to spend January unpacking what the gospel actually is. And what better place to do that than swimming around in John chapter 3, verse 16. So let me encourage you. Hopefully you found John 3, unless you got a new Bible for Christmas and still trying to figure it out. But let me encourage you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I'm going to read John 3, 1 through 5, and then go all the way down to verse 16. So the first five verses of chapter 3, and then verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came at night, came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 16, for God loved the world in this way. 
He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Let's pray. Jesus, this is daunting. Anytime you open up any scripture, it's, it's daunting. But I feel, like, I feel like your love is massive, uh, the, 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 like grains of sand on a seashore. And what I'm bringing to the table is one tiny grain of sand. So I pray that you would supernaturally, by the power of your spirit, in our minds and our hearts, help us not just to be able to say you love the world but understand a little bit more about what that means and may it get down in us. To those seasons when we don't understand why you allow things, to things that are mysterious, things that are good, things that are bad, we don't understand it all. May we know in our essence that we are loved by you. Do that, please. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. The great A.W. Tozier is credited to have saying, written, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I tend to agree, whether O.A.W. said it or not. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It will affect you, it will affect your soul, it will affect your mind, it will affect those around you and your relationships. What goes on in your brain, in your soul, when, when somebody brings up God or when you think about the reality of God, it's the single most important thing about you. Jesus said the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, to a man who was wrestling with who God really is. He thought he knew who God was. I mean, for crying out loud, John tells us that he was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he was a high-ranking Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, which meant the man knew his Bible. If you know anything about Pharisees in Jesus' time, you'll know that they had practically the Old Testament memorized, if not most certainly the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You would have thought that if Jesus was going to partner up with anybody and be on anybody's side when he walked the earth, it would be with the Pharisees. These guys knew their Torah. These people knew their Bible, and they were proud of it. And Nicodemus had this understanding of God, but what he was seeing in this person of Jesus didn't remind him of his understanding of God. You see, the Pharisees started out as this religious sect that, was, that had good motives. They wanted to separate themselves from the world. They wanted to be true Jews, God's Old Testament people. But as it tends to happen over time, strong religious organizations and religious groups tend to start missing the main point. They tend to start focusing on the little the weeds. They focus on the trees and miss the forest. 
As a matter of fact, one commentator I read this week said this about the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. Listen to what he said. He said, by the time Jesus showed up, the Pharisees had somehow lost the vision of the kingdom of God and had become obsessively concerned with every conceivable item of dress or behavior that went into being a Jew, arguing and defining detail by detail what it meant to be a Jew. They had become obsessive over every detail of identity about themselves. The Jew, the Pharisees, and their commitment to keep the truth exact and keep separated from the world's ways used a language that that was as impersonal and controlled as possible. You know any church people like that? This is how it's going to be. This is what we believe. This is who God is. We're going to argue God. <laughs> They're real attractive. The Pharisees in Jesus' day had become so rigid. They, they, God, was, God was a being to be argued over. God was a being to be parsed. To be discussed, to be right was their goal. Those kind of people are real fun to be around when they are just certain about every little thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. Then Jesus comes along saying that he's God, doing these miraculous things that only God could be doing in him. And Nicodemus is like, uh-oh. Maybe I've got a misunderstanding about who God is. Maybe I've got some right thoughts about God, but maybe I've misunderstand who God is this whole time. And so what time of day does Nicodemus go see Jesus? Night. Thank you, Ronnie. Nick at night. Nickelodeon's got nothing on John. He goes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he didn't want his other Conrads to know that he was talking to this Jesus. He'd gotten in trouble. But he's curious. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. My translation, I've watched you. I've heard you. I have an un I've got a right understanding of God. But you don't look like the God that I thought I knew. What's up with that? And Jesus, as he so often does, blows this man's mind. Jesus uses a metaphor that breaks him out of the rigid, strict, let's argue God mode and explodes it, recategorizes it. You know what Jesus gives him a picture of? Pregnancy. <laughs> you ever been pregnant? I haven't either. But did you know in our church right now, there are at least, to my knowledge, five ladies that are pregnant? Don't drink the water. Please. <clears throat> he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what goes, to, what goes to Nicodemus? And we know Jesus is talking about something spiritual, but what goes to Nicodemus' mind is, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a, there's a womb and a baby and a mommy. Ask any of these ladies that are pregnant. What does that mean? It means personal. It means relationship. It means intimacy. It means vibrancy. It means nourishment. Jesus uses this language of being born, and all of a sudden, Nicodemus is like, whoa, God's not, God's not a subject to be argued over. God is a being that wants a relationship. 
There's this intimacy and birth and nourishment and life and love and invading of personal space. Again, never been pregnant, but I have a pretty good feeling ladies that have would say it's an invasion of personal space. So Jesus starts using them, this picture that explodes Nicodemus' mind. How do you get into a mother's womb? Love. What happens when the baby's born? Love. Nicodemus, you've misunderstood God. He's not a being out there that is to be argued over. He's someone that loves you that is inviting you into a relationship Therefore, when Jesus starts talking about God specifically in verse 16, he says, for God so loved the world. Nicodemus, it's not about crossing all your moral T's and dotting all your religious I's and seeing how your dress can be the most religious and how many times you can pray today, how many scriptures you can read today, or how many things you can avoid that's bad and how many things that you can do that's good. You're missing the point. It's about a relationship with this God who loves you. I just wonder if Nicodemus was like, whoa, I've had it all wrong. By the way, what did Jesus mean when he said world? For God so loved the world. What does that mean? We can talk later, buddy. What'd you say? He does love everyone. He sure does. What's your name? Thanks, Caleb. I love it when you want to participate. If I ask a question, by gosh, you better be ready to answer, right? There's a sense, thank you, Caleb, there's a sense in which God so loves the world. Does, does he mean, does Jesus mean there that the world is just so beautiful, so nice, so sweet? God's creation is just, is just so lovable. Maybe that's, maybe that's what Jesus meant. For God so loved this beautiful world. Per, per, perhaps. Or, or maybe, maybe it's just a general statement. God loves the world. Kind of like when somebody wins a beauty pageant or when they win an award and they go and they grab the microphone. I just love everything. Everybody. Maybe, maybe that's what Jesus meant. I just, I just love everybody. Isn't everybody so wonderful? It's a very general thing. Or maybe admit the bigness of God's love. God so loves the world because it's so big. Maybe, maybe that's what Jesus meant. We might need to understand this. For God so loved the world. And by God's grace to us, we really don't have to wonder what he meant. John used the same word for world that he uses here in his gospel 78 times. And he wrote three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Please tell me you know that because we spent a lot of time in John last year. And if you don't know that, I'm going to feel really bad. He wrote the, the same word for world in his letters 24 times, which means over 100 times in John's writings we have this same word for world. And people a lot smarter than me have done research and gone to the context to figure out what's going on each time these things are done. And listen to what the scholars say. You ready to be rocked? What does Jesus mean when he says, for God so loved the world? Here's what world means. 
world is the realm of humanity arrayed in opposition to God. It is the all-encompassing circle of men and women who inhabit this planet, people who embrace darkness habitually. When you look up the hundred uses of the word world that John uses, when you put that in what Jesus says loves the world, he's saying, I love the world. Yes, those humans that habitually rebel against me. I am a God who loves them. Don Carson, who is a New Testament scholar, agrees. He said this. He said, worldliness in John's usage is the entire moral order against God. It is men and women doing their own thing independently of him. What do you mean, world? We're messed up. Yes. Which means at least it's not based on whether you do good or you do bad. It's based on who God is. Elsewhere, John wrote in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He can't help it. This same, this same scholar, Don Carson, did an, wrote an illustration talking about this that I got a chuckle out of, and so I'm going I'm to share it with you because I thought it was a good illustration, and it's quite funny. He said, picture John and Susan walking along one of the beaches of California. It's a warm evening. They've kicked off their sandals. They're walking hand in hand down the beach. There's a lovely breeze coming in off the Pacific, ruffling their hair. The sun is setting in the west. John turns to Sue and he says, Sue, I love you. Now, what does he mean? It could mean quite a lot of things. Perhaps it means this, he says. Susan, in my eyes, you're absolutely wonderful. The way the sun glints in your hair, the beauty of your eyes, your smile just captures my heart absolutely. Your personality is wonderful. I love being with you. I just feel so free and complete when I'm with you. You're absolutely wonderful. I can't imagine life without you. In other words, when, when John says, I love you, in part, isn't he saying, I find you lovable? John's a pretty good romantic, by the way. I'll write some of this stuff down. He does not mean, Susan, quite frankly, your halitosis would scare off a herd of rampaging elephants. Your hair is so greasy that you could oil an 18-wheeler. Your knees remind me of a crippled camel. You have the personality of Genghis Khan. But I love you. I love you. That's not what he means, is it? Now, our text says, this is Carson still, God so loved the world. What does he mean? Does he mean world, world? You're so lovely in my eyes. I can't imagine eternity without you. The wit with which you address me, the glory of your guitar playing when you worship me. I just feel so complete. World, world, I love you. And that means that you're very lovable. He says this, listen carefully. I read some Christian psychology books that argue exactly that. The world must be really wonderful because God loves us. Good grief. That's exactly wrong. Morally speaking, the world is the world of the crippled camel knees, the personality of Genghis Khan, the greasy hair, and the halitosis. Morally speaking, that's who we are, and God loves us anyway. Hear this, church. Not as a mark of how wonderful we are, but of the kind of God he is. God doesn't just make you and say, when you get it together, I love you. No, 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 no. When you, you are a result of God's love. God's, God's not going to love you more at the end of the day because you went to church. Next week, if you skip, which you shouldn't, 
But next week, if you skip, he's not going to love you less. It's not based on your actions. It's based on his reality that he is love. If I can say it this way without being heretical, God is stuck loving us. It's who he is. It's how he works. God is love. Many of you, or several of you, have told me that you're reading the Bible through this year. Call me when you get to Leviticus. I'll coach you through it. We'll pray. Give him grace. Give yourself grace. I encourage you to test the first part of John 3.16 to see if it's true. How does God act? God so loved the world. Really? What's the first thing he does after Adam and Eve rebel against him? He pursues them. Asks them questions to have a relationship with them and clothes them. A few chapters later, Noah rescued by the boat and the, and the flood. Noah's rescued, but he blows it. What does God do? Pursues him in relationship. A few chapters later, God's people try to live out this love story on their own. They try to make a love story, create it themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, they create a love story themselves by building a tower all the way to Babel, or all the way to heaven. What does God do? He pursues them to keep them from messing up and dehumanizing themselves. A few chapters later, Abraham. A few chapters later, Isaac. A few chapters later, Jacob. A few chapters later, Joseph. A few chapters later, Israel under slavery. A few chapters later, Moses. Then Joshua, and on and on and on. And what does God do when His people try to live in rebellion against Him or try to do things outside of His love? He doesn't say, "I'm done with you." His default is love, and He goes after them. That's how God is. Watch it. Pay attention to it. And then when the time was perfect, God in the second person of the Trinity walked into the divine closet, put on skin, and came to earth known as Jesus. And what does he spend his time doing? Walking into the bars and the pubs and saying, you sinners, get your act together. No, he walked in and says, God is a God of love. Let me invite you into a new way of life that's the kingdom. Let me tell you about this father whose son rebelled against him. And when he lost everything and he started getting up to come home, this father took off running towards this rebellious son. That's who God is. For God so loved this world. And Brad was right. I long for this to get into our bones. Because there's going to be times when it doesn't feel like it or seem like it and it's going to be really confusing and it's going to be really messy And I want, whether we understand it or not, for you to be able to get up in the morning and say, I am loved by God, and he is inviting me into this relationship with him today. One final thing about these verses, and then I'll wrap it up. The word love here, the tense it's used, is really interesting to me. The CSB says, for God loved the world in this way. I just love the word so. And that's how I remembered it. So, for God so loved. Sometimes I feel like a teenager. God so loved the world. Anyway, God so loved the world. That word for love, listen to me. It means that God created 
out of love and that God actively continues to love. That's what it means. Which means God dreamt you up and you are a result of God's love. God imagined you and brought you into being, not to, not, not to set you out there and say, get it together, folks, and then I'll love you. No, no, it's, it's, a, it's an overflow, the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How, they didn't need creation. It's just love. They made it, and they didn't need us in order to have more fellowship. They didn't need that. Love overflowing made us. You don't ever have to wonder if you will ever get outside the love of God. You, your actions don't dictate that. God loves you. And you were created because of his love. And it also means that every human being you lay eyes on today and every aspect of creation you see today is announcing and declaring and screaming at us, God loves you. You know what Psalm 19 says? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they declare knowledge. It's God declaring, I love you. Psalm 33, 5. The earth is full of the unfailing love of God. You were invited into a love relationship with a God who loves you. Hey, Nicodemus, don't miss it. <laughs> what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, and you're starting to miss it, bud. Starting to miss it. God is about a relationship, a love relationship with you. Are you going to believe that and be invited into it? Friday morning, I woke up and made coffee and did my thing, and I, you know, tapped my iPhone and when I tapped my iPhone, I noticed that there was a red dot with like the number two or three above the app store. You ever get those red dots on your, on your phone telling you you need to update? You people, by the way, that don't ever deal with your red dots, stress me out. I have to, I hate red dots. So if you don't ever deal with your red dots, don't show me your phone because I'll need something. I saw it. I'm like, oh, I got to deal with that. Is that. When it's at the app store, it means I've got some apps that need to update. And so I wanted to give it permission to do so. And so I touch the App Store app, and it takes me to where I go and do that. And Friday morning, like it does every day, it takes me to the App Store, and the App Store opened up. And the front main app that it was advertising Friday morning was Create Your Own Love Story. I thought, ooh, that sounds fun. Create your own love store with those pretty people with avatars. I can create my own love store. Oh. So I read. I read the description. Create your own love story. Listen to this. If you like it spicy, watch this. Listen to this. Who doesn't love a juicy drama? In the interactive romances of Apple Arcade's episode XOXO, you choose every twist and turn. We love watching the melodrama unfold. But do you pursue the ex-boyfriend or the best friend? Can your summer fling with a celebrity bloom into something real? There are no wrong decisions. These tantalizing tales play out however you see fit. 
You can also customize your main character and your love interest to make the stars of these tage-perning yarns truly reflect who you are. Want to rock vampire fangs and curly pink hair? Why not? So I clicked, paid the $2.99. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. (laughs) I did not click. I don't know if it cost. Hopefully I wouldn't click if it's free. Anyway, I read that and I thought, as I so often do with Apple, man, they are on to something. They, They are on to something. To think that we can spend hours on our devices if we chose to, to create a perfect version of ourselves and a perfect version of a, a love story of the of the other of another person to love and to love us back. They're on to something that in each and every one of our hearts we long to be fully known and fully loved. They're on to something. We don't want to have to create our perfect avatar. We want to know if we can be loved as we are. It's intriguing to me, and if you look at it in the world, it's everywhere. Here's the thing. You can, you can try that if you want. You can create your own love story with Apple Arcade. Find me in two years. Tell me how it's working out. But I promise you, it'll be a shadow. It'll be an echo of reality. Because hear me, Wes Franklin. You were never made to create your own love story. You were made because you were invited into a love story by your creator. You are invited. This has been going on from eternity past and it will never end. You are invited to believe and live in that love for you. Do you believe? Wes Franklin, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. For God so loved the world. Jesus This is massive, and we've only scratched the surface. So I pray that you would help help us take these truths, this reality of your love, and 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 uh, dig deeper into our souls. May we recognize false things. May we recognize other things that we try to create on our own, which ultimately dehumanize us. And draw us back in, Jesus. Draw us back in to where we find that we are truly human when we are in the story of your love that you have, are, and will forever write with your people in mind. Fathers, we start this four-part series in John 3, 16. Let's start with the foundation of the gospel. We are loved. You, God, are loved, are loved. <laughs> Please move it into our souls. Pray it in Christ's name.